And the reason that I'm going into so much detail about, you know, these different programs that I did and this and that is to show you that this really was like a desperate attempt to piece things together slowly but surely. And a lot of the things that I ended up doing were really amazing and gave me great experiences and great stories. But it was never like every break, every summer, I had to figure out where to go and where to be and what to do with myself financially and in terms of just keeping myself busy or keeping myself away from home because I knew that there was so much at risk. Welcome black sheep, welcome South Asian women and femmes, welcome LGBTQ loves of all kind. My name is Roshni and this podcast is called Becoming Enough. I'm a self-worth coach and I'm here to help you learn to let go of your old life and the life that you built when you felt unloved and unworthy and welcome you into your new life of high self-worth where you know your value and you trust yourself fully. My greatest passion is talking to you about self-worth and this journey of loving ourselves and believing that we are enough. Get cozy, grab a cup of coffee, or get ready for your walk because this is going to be another beautiful episode. I hope you love it. A little while ago, a South Asian woman reached out to me on TikTok on a video that I'd made about my relationship with my parents as the black sheep. And she was sharing that she wanted to move out of her parents' house but had no idea where to start and she was curious about my story. And so I did respond to her, but I also felt really inspired to create this podcast episode because I realized I've never really shared this part of my story and I think it is really important to share just one experience of how a South Asian femme was able to move out of their parents' house and just what that experience kind of looked like. So in this episode, I'm going to be covering a little bit of how it looked financially as well as the emotional experience behind it. For the next episode, we will be back to our normal format, but I hope that you enjoy this special episode. At the end of high school, I really thought, okay, like this is it. I've made it till I'm 18. I graduated high school. I'm going to college. This is me moving out. And even though I did move to a different state and go to a school there, I didn't realize that there would still be an air of denial or a lack of acceptance that I'd moved out. Something that I actually didn't realize at all until I graduated college, actually the weekend of my graduation, was that after I graduated college, my parents were expecting me to come and move back home. And so during my summer breaks or my winter breaks, when I went home while I was still in school, they would mention things about how I still live there or how some of my stuff is still there. And that always confused me because in my mind, I'd moved out. I, I left. But I literally was never told that when I was graduating, I was going to be expected to move back home. So because of that, even though in my mind, the moving out process was kind of cut and dry, I realized that it was being perceived differently. And that process of me moving out actually wasn't really validated until almost seven, eight years after I left for college. The first thing that's super important to talk about whenever you're thinking about moving out is, of course, your financial situation. You may have a savings goal that you have in mind. You may have an existing job that will continue to support you through this process. But understanding where you are financially is going to be really, really important for you because if you move out but you're still financially dependent on your parents, there's a big connection of control there, right? At any moment, they could say, oh, well, I'm paying for your apartment, let me have a key and then start dropping by and you can't really say anything because they're paying for it or you feel like you can't say anything, right? Same thing with them giving you money for certain bills or for your car or whatever else it could be. And this really is the biggest challenge because when I was moving out in 2012, I it was a completely different economic status and I didn't come from a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of money with me. Um, so it's still possible, but... I just want to make sure that I say that up front, that the finances, of, of course, are going to be a huge part of this. 
In addition to this, it's also really important to think about where it is that you want to go. And what I mean by that is the amount of distance you want to create. So are you moving to a whole other country? Are you moving to a different state? Are you moving to the next town over? Because something that I realized in my journey was that I couldn't be anywhere within a, a drive even and a drive being you know even three four hours away I knew that that would still be too close for me to randomly get visited or for me to have expectations or for my parents to have expectations of me coming home right so it was really important to me to make sure that it wasn't a place where one of us could like do a surprise drop in on each other and that to me made it feel like I had a little bit more freedom and safety and more boundaries because a whole flight away or a 14 hour drive away takes extra planning and to me that really was what made me feel safe. So if we travel back to 2011, I was a junior in high school and I had been making good grades my whole life, but I didn't really even know what a GPA was. I didn't know anything about the college acceptance process. So I really had to kind of start from scratch and figure it all out on my own. That in itself was a really difficult process, but there was something inside of me that just knew that moving out wasn't an option. Like I knew it was going to happen for me, even though I had no experience with anything and I had no idea how, but something that I really admire about myself during this phase in my life is that I was completely fearless, but I also didn't get so bogged down by the overthinking. And I feel like, I don't know if this is just me or if this is kind of everyone lately with just how our society is right now, but we all tend to overthink so much. And social media just adds on to that, right? Like I didn't even have a smartphone at this point. I was really disconnected from social media outside of like Tumblr and maybe Facebook. It was a really different landscape and so for me it was a lot easier to hear my intuition and I'd been looking forward to this moment since I was a kid and since experiencing you know this kind of like emotional and verbal abuse and it's so interesting because something that I talked about recently on TikTok was that there's a time and place where we realize that our parents have been abusing us but for so much of our childhood we don't know that and for me that moment wasn't until well into my 20s so even even though I knew that I was constantly feeling terrible about myself, even though I knew we would get into these arguments and I knew I needed to escape, I still didn't fully realize or allow myself to admit that I was experiencing, you know, verbal and emotional ex- abuse and prior to that physical as well. But I think that's such an interesting perspective to kind of put myself back into because All I knew was that I wanted to escape, but I didn't have all the language. I didn't have other people's voices in my head telling me what to think or what I should be worried about. So even though I didn't think about all of the details, I'm actually really grateful that I put myself out there and started hoping for all of these things that realistically I had no business hoping for. Something that I want you to think about if you're in this position or if you're thinking about moving out is how much are you really overthinking and what are the details that you're worried about now that you maybe don't need to worry about until a little bit later. And I think as you listen to more of my story and kind of how all these years of my life have played out, it makes sense in hindsight how much the universe showed up for me and how much it shows up for all of us through all of your stories, I'm sure because there was no way I could have predicted all of these ups and downs or that I could have even planned for them, even if I was thinking about the worst case scenario. So we're in 2011. I don't know anything about this process, but I'm applying to a ton of schools and I am working about 30 hours a week at my job. So I had a small way to make money. I was making literally like $7.25 an hour and just saving as much of it as I possibly could. Up to this point, I didn't really have a lot of the extra things that kids at my school had. I didn't have things like a laptop, let alone a car, and everyone around me had all of these resources, right? So I knew if I don't work as many hours as I possibly can, there's no way I'm going to be able to have these things that I need. I'm going to school full-time, I'm working almost full-time hours, and I start applying to like over 16 colleges. I apply everywhere I think I can, 
And honestly, I'm just kind of crossing my fingers and hoping for the best. Like I knew I was intelligent and I knew I was putting everything I possibly could into these applications, but I truly had no idea how any of it was gonna turn out. So it's Christmas Eve of 2011 and I go to check the mailbox and inside is the big envelope from Colorado College, which is the school that I ultimately went to. And this envelope is telling me that I got accepted and I just ran straight to my bedroom and I poured through every single picture and every single brochure that they included in that envelope. And I was literally, I remember literally just hugging that envelope and jumping up and down. And in my mind, I was like, I did it. Like, not only did I survive my childhood, not only did I survive Texas, but now I truly get to live the life of my dreams at this new school. And this is a private liberal arts school and at this time the tuition was like $56,000 a year. So there was no way that my parents were going to be able to pay for all of that and obviously my $7.25 an hour job wasn't going to cut it either and so I immediately started applying for financial aid. I was like no matter what I'm going to get a full ride and I'm going to go here and I think that's so interesting when I was not this kind of bold person at all. I was like afraid sometimes to speak up in class. Like I kind of oscillated between sometimes feeling confident and comfortable around my friends to mostly being really scared when it came to asking anyone for help or reaching out to any sort of authority figure, right? So I had no idea what to do and I was too afraid to ask anyone for help, but I got through it and sometime that spring I got this letter from financial aid that I was going to be able to get a full ride. This was literally the biggest miracle that ever could have happened in my life and obviously this does come with a lot of privilege. This is not a situation that I'd ever been in before. I was always hiding from my friends at that time how much money we really didn't have. And it was something that I just felt like was the secret that I was holding over my head. And so getting this letter and not only being accepted, but then having a full ride, I truly felt like all of my prayers were being answered. When I got accepted to a school out of state and it really dawned on my parents that like I was leaving and I was going somewhere else, we got into a huge fight, a huge fight. And I fought so hard to go to this school. I pulled the card that you are not allowed to pull in an Indian family. And I said, I'm 18. I'm turning 18 before I go to college. It is my choice and this is the school I'm going to. You can't stop me because I'm legally an adult. Obviously, we all know that that doesn't fly in an Indian household. That ended up being met with so much more rage and tension and anger. But like I knew, like I was like, this is not a choice. This is not an option. I will buy myself a one-way ticket to Colorado. I will get a friend to drop me off at the airport. This was pre-Uber and my suburb had no public transportation because it's Texas. And I knew like no matter what I I will get there I was even thinking like maybe I could find like a way to get on a Greyhound bus Like I, I did not care I knew I was going and nothing was going to stop me I'm so grateful that I had that drive Like I was truly fearless at that time in my life Because I could sense how close I was I knew that this was my ticket to freedom And I knew that financially having a full ride was like it was solving all my problems at the time. My whole body, my whole soul, my whole mind knew that I was going to go. Eventually, you know, my parents had to accept it. So then fast forward to graduating high school and I really didn't start partying until the second semester and the summer after my senior year. During that summer, I ended up being caught with weed. I feel like all of the emotional or mental abuse that I went through, all of the hardships financially that I went through, it felt like I might as well be bad. Like if I'm getting in this much trouble, if I'm getting talked to this way and treated this way, I might as well do something to earn it. Like that was kind of the twisted way that my mind was thinking about it. And obviously, if you've grown up in an Indian household, like you know how bad that is. And it was every bit as awful as you could possibly imagine. I got in so much trouble. They took away my wallet. They took away my access to my own funds. I was grounded the entire summer. I couldn't really go anywhere except for work. And I ended up having to pay for everything for my college dorm. So I saved and saved. I spent 
$700 on everything that I needed from like bed sheets to any kitchenware, anything. I had to buy it all myself because that was part of my punishment for being caught with what I was caught with. So I went into college really with not a lot of money. I had to spend like the last bit of money I had. I think I spent like 400 dollars or maybe even less on like a Toshiba laptop but I get to school and my freshman year I feel like oh my god I've made it like I remember getting on the plane the day that I left for Colorado and it was a one-way ticket and for my graduation my aunt had given me a silver heart-shaped necklace with the Colorado with the Rocky Mountains like etched on it and it said Colorado and I just remember like wearing that every single day that summer, just praying and hoping and not being able to wait until this day when I was going to be able to leave. And on that plane, I just was holding like the the heart, the pendant from the necklace between my hands. And I was just, I could not believe that I'd survived and that I was able to get out and escape and that I was able to move out. So much is unfolding during this time and I also didn't realize again that my parents didn't see that as me moving out. Something that's really important here as well is that even if you do move out and even if you are completely financially successful, a lot of parents, especially South Asian parents, especially if you're an unmarried femme or woman, they will still assume that they have every last say over your life and over all these decisions that you make. Right before I left, I remember having a conversation and my parents were basically saying, anything that you do, tell us before. You can't make any decisions. You have to call us and we'll help you make the right decision. And so even that language of like, you'll make the wrong decision, you have to let us know, in my mind, a big part of me felt like I'm not capable of making decisions. I'm not capable of choosing anything for myself and I automatically will do things incorrectly because I'm dumb. Let alone the fact that I literally just navigated this entire process of high school and applying to colleges and applying for financial aid and personal scholarships and separate grants. I did all of that on my own, but I still, because of these messages that I was getting externally, I still felt like I couldn't rely on myself to make a good decision. A lot of these things follow us and there's these emotional connections and these emotional ties that will be a separate battle to kind of fight through after you've moved out. So that's something that I didn't know when I was moving out is I would still have to deal with these things for so much longer after. At that time, I just internalized this idea that I am not intelligent, that I'm not street smart, that I don't know, I can't be trusted. Oh, in hindsight, I can see how much it was just a bid for control and them potentially being afraid that I was gonna get into trouble or that they were gonna lose me in some way. But really, all it did was make me completely doubt myself and make me almost unable to make a decision and feel confident in it. And actually, as I'm saying this, all of these issues that I worked through to figure out how to start trusting myself and figuring out how to make good decisions and to feel confident behind them, all of those life lessons eventually is what led me to create Not Your Betty, my online course. This isn't even anything about it, but that course is entirely about trusting yourself as a South Asian woman or femme and being able to make these decisions. And thinking about it, it's almost directly related to this point in my life when I was told that I could not do those things and that I could not be trusted. That's actually kind of interesting to think about but regardless you know this year my freshman year at school was one of the the best years that I probably had at school I had a lot of difficulties with my roommates and I felt really judged by other people but I was so elated like nothing could make me truly unhappy to me I'd done it I'd done the thing that I was so desperate for and I was letting myself just exist it was around winter break when I was home for almost a month that I realized how bad it was for me to be at home and part of this was just the general mindset in Texas, but that on top of, you know, my difficult relationship with my parents and then seeing all of my family over these breaks for the holidays, like normally those times were kind of nice, but there was also a lot of like, just like those questions about what you're gonna do with the rest of your life. And like, I just felt really kind of judged for choosing a school out of state. So there was a lot of those things that were starting to kind of crop up. But the biggest issue for me personally was the fact that my substance issues got a lot worse when I was in Texas. And I think for me, that was because I was so desperate to escape. I had 
had to feel something or feel nothing. And because of that, I just remember these breaks home being so emotional because of the ups and downs of substances and also just really emotional because of these fights and this constant negative energy and tension in our house. None of that was making me feel good and I realized at that time that I had to limit my time home as much as possible. And part of it was, you know, to to feel like I had more distance from my family, but a big part of it was also the fact that I really didn't think I could trust myself around substances for months at a time, especially for like an entire summer break and didn't have a car. I still had no form of transportation in this suburb in Texas, so I just felt so constantly trapped. And I knew that I was just going to go down a bad path if I stayed in that environment. So when I went back to school, my second semester of my freshman year, I, I wanted to do some sort of course abroad. And my school had this really amazing benefit where they would be able to cover your tuition for an entire course if you took it over the summer and they only offer this one time during your entire time at school but I was like I have to use it now I don't have an option I have nothing else that I'm doing this summer so I applied for all of these grants and all of these additional scholarships as well as got the tuition coverage and I was able to go to Paris which was incredible um, so I studied art history in Paris for half of that summer and then I applied to be a mentor at this program that I was in the year prior um, and it's like the three weeks leading up to school for just you know BIPOC uh, students and some international students to be able to kind of get used to the campus and build community with one another before we merge in with the rest of the students at this very predominantly white institution made sure that with the art history course in the middle of summer, I only had about three weeks at home, once at the very beginning of summer, once at the end of summer, and then I went early to school to be a part of that mentorship program. I thought at this point, that my parents definitely knew like, okay, you've moved out, you're doing your own thing. I was really proud of myself for being able to choose a healthier me and a me that wasn't as involved in substances as I would have been if I was stuck at home. But something that's really important as well about the way that I was trying to organize my time for that freshman year summer was that I knew that there was a couple of things I had to worry about. There wasn't anything that I could do if I couldn't figure out the finances behind it. So that's why I immediately went to the financial aid office and figured out all the different grants and scholarships and things like that that I could apply for for that course abroad because without that I wouldn't have been able to do it and at that time I had a little bit of money saved up from my work-study job on campus which of course is only like 10 hours a week and that was a, the little bit of spending money that I had and I completely went broke that summer because it was in Paris in the middle of July during tourist season and I didn't have any money other than the little bit of money I'd saved up from my on-campus job. So the finances were a really important part of it and then for that mentorship program I was able to move onto campus three weeks early and I also got a $1,200 stipend. So that to me was like winning the freaking lottery and to go into my sophomore year with that additional income was huge for me because it was going to be able to cover more of my books and things like that. But the other thing that was really important is I had to kind of think about things the way that my parents think about things. I couldn't just go off into any random place or to stay with someone else for the summer or do something that was quote unquote unproductive. But something that I knew my parents always respected was education. So I found ways related to my college or related to education that where I could be further away from home. And that to me was really, really huge because it was something that my parents didn't fight me over. They were actually kind of proud of me that I was able to figure out these things to do over the summer and it it relieved some of that tension that ordinarily would have been there. There was so much at risk when it came to using substances in Texas, first of all legally, and then also like I could see where my friends at that time were headed and I could see how much a lot of those people, not all of them, but a lot of them were not really there for me and didn't really care about me and we were just using together and it wasn't like I my life was such a polar opposite because part of me was going to this really 
privileged private school exposed to all this education and these incredible opportunities and then the other side of me was like sneaking out and using substances you know late at night in texas in places where i shouldn't be with people i shouldn't be with and so to go from one to the other was like mental whiplash in a way or emotional whiplash and i was starting to find ways to show myself that i could be more and to prove also to myself that I could make good decisions and that I could take care of myself. Sophomore year, I was in my first class. I was checking my transcript online. So it said, you've been put on academic probation. You can't access any of your grades or your transcript. You need to see the financial aid office. And I was like, I was so confused about why one thing had to do with another. But I went to the financial aid office because I knew I had to get this figured out. And they said that the school board decided to raise tuition because it's a private school and all they have to do is do one vote and then they can set tuition at whatever it is they want. So they raised tuition and they didn't change my school's scholarship and they didn't tell me. So I still had the funds for my full ride scholarship, but because tuition had increased, there was a gap of six or $8,000 because they raised tuition that much in a year. So it was over $60,000 a year to go to this school at this point and my scholarship didn't cover that much. It still covered like 56000 And so I had no idea what to do, but I was like, I can't leave this school. Like I, I can't be kicked out because you raised tuition and I was supposed to be on a full ride and you decided not to change my scholarship. Like what am I supposed to do? So we worked something out with the financial aid office and I had to take out student loans. I had, I took out the student loans and every year after sophomore year, my junior year and my senior year, they raised tuition every year. So even though I had a full ride, eventually when I graduated, I still left with over $20,000 in student loans, but I had no choice. My sophomore year, after tuition increased and figuring that hurdle out, I was able to convert my volunteer job into a paid research job for the after-school theater, and then I was still working my job at the library. It was getting close to second semester of sophomore year. I knew, once again, I need to figure something out for summer. So I went to my boss, who was um, a junior at the time, he was another student, and I said, I need to find a way to stay on campus. I cannot go home this summer is there any sort of internship or job opportunity that I could do from this research position and we found that there was um, a partner nonprofit that we were running our research organization through and that nonprofit had an opportunity for an internship over the summer I went to uh, my financial office aid office once again my favorite place to fucking be on campus I was like hey so I need to figure something out and they actually had something for first generation students which I qualified for if you had an internship that was an unpaid internship there was a specific scholarship that you could find that allowed you to they would basically pay for like your housing expenses and some transportation costs so that you could spend your time working full-time at an unpaid internship. I once again got together my budget, I found a house to sublet, I you know submitted another application, wrote an essay, and was granted exactly what I needed for my living expenses. So I think my rent for the sublet was like $400 a month. I was able to get a monthly bus pass and I didn't have transportation so I had to take the bus to the internship every single day. I was so so, so, so grateful. So I woke up at like 6 a.m. every morning to... We're taking a quick break from this episode to talk about the magic of self-worth coaching sessions. All of my self-worth coaching sessions are individualized and personalized to meet you where you are. This is really about finding you where you are in your journey of healing your self-worth and building your self-worth, as well as undoing the life that you built when you felt unloved and unworthy. And we really do a deep dive into how you're feeling right now and the thoughts and habits that are going on within your mindset that are continuing the patterns that you're living over and over again. Because a lot of us come from difficult or traumatic backgrounds, these sessions are not built for you to revisit your trauma or to talk about all of your most painful memories. Of course, I'm always here to hold space for you if that is what you need to do, but life coaching isn't about diving into the past. It's about meeting you where you are and seeing what we can do to make little tweaks to move forward. 
One of the biggest pillars of my coaching sessions as well is that you are the expert on your own life, meaning that this isn't about me telling you what to do or telling you how to live or the changes you need to make. What we're doing together is working on your mindset and building up certain habits or thought patterns that allow you to communicate with yourself, to deepen your self-trust, and to follow your own intuition. And the difference between a self-worth coaching session with me and a session with a different life coach is that I understand the black sheep experience and I understand what it's like to go through life being raised as a South Asian woman or femme. Our experiences are unique and it can be so frustrating when you're trying to explain to a coach or to a therapist how our family systems work. But my biggest passion is helping you see that no matter where you came from or what kind of family you were raised in, you absolutely deserve to be loved, seen, and heard. Your first coaching session is always available at a discount. You can learn more about self-worth coaching at my website, www.bettygrewup.com. That's B-E-T-I grewup.com. And if you'd like a payment plan for your intro session or for any other coaching sessions, just fill out the contact form on my website so that I can get back to you with more information and a payment plan that works for you. You can find my website linked below in the show notes. Now, back to our episode. walk to the bus stop. My internship was actually at a nonprofit, which was in a mall. Eventually, you know, a couple of months go by, everything's going fine. And then there was a couple who ran the nonprofit and the husband of the couple started making a lot of comments about how I dressed. He started making a lot of comments about my body, about how I looked, my appearance. So eventually there was a woman who was actually a South Asian woman on campus and she was one of the only South Asian women who worked on campus. And I was, you know, kind of friends with her or friendly with her and um, I would ask her if you know we could go out to coffee and she was kind of like I never had like a full mentor but I would say she was the closest thing that I had to a mentor at the time and so I was casually telling her you know this is how this is going I am you know getting these comments and things like that and I kind of like mentioned it casually I wasn't even trying to like tell on anyone I, I kind of had just been used to brushing things like that off um, at this point in my life. And I also felt like I didn't have a lot of options, you know what I mean? Like I had to be, I had to be there. I mentioned it to her in passing and she was like, wait, but isn't the school paying you and the internship is unpaid? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, that means that CC, our school, is paying you to be at this place that is sexually harassing you. And I was like, oh, like, what does that mean? And she's like, we can't support that as a school. So for like the, and it was already August, so summer was almost over, but she decided to have a meeting with me and the wife and we were speaking about the husband's comments. And she was like, well, what were you wearing? And like was going off and getting angry at me. And so eventually she left the meeting and the South Asian woman closed the door and was like, she's crazy. Like you cannot be in this environment. It's toxic. I can't support that. And we can't let the school support you being there. So they let me have the rest of my money for August. When it came to my sophomore year, this was the time that I really thought I had moved out because for the entire summer, I wasn't going home. I remember sitting on the front porch of the house that I was subletting at that time and I was having this conversation with my mom and it was going really well. Something that she said was that she was sorry and she apologized for a lot of the things that happened in my childhood. And I never thought that I would hear that. I felt really close in this relationship and I felt like, oh my God, I've got it all figured out. Like I am not home, but our relationship is getting better. I feel happier in my day-to-day -day life and I feel free enough. Like this is actually gonna work. We're gonna get closer. This is gonna be perfect. Pretty soon, you know, even in the next few months, that bubble just completely burst and years since then we've had I've brought this up this conversation that we had and sometimes it was acknowledged and other times it was just kind of like that never happened there's nothing to apologize for I wanted to share that because there was such significant emotional ups and downs when it came with thinking that I was moved out and wanting to be more open and vulnerable and then feeling like I 
caught myself in a trap because I was too open and vulnerable. When I finally realized at this time that in their minds, I still hadn't moved out. There was this constant push and pull of me searching for my freedom and feeling like I had it and then feeling it kind of get grasped out of my hands. Almost felt worse than not having the freedom at all because I had it and felt like I lost it. And then it felt like I was constantly in this cycle of having to prove myself, right? So there's the existing shame that was going on that I already mentioned. And then on top of that, there's these constant feelings of I'm not actually free. I'm still connected. It's like this cord, right? Connecting us. And I felt like sometimes the cord was elastic and I was able to move, you know, further and further and push it. But then something would always happen, spring me right back. Just keep taking baby steps. Just keep taking steps, even if you don't know how it's all going to work out, because there probably will be ups and downs. It's okay if things don't work out right away, or if it's okay if you feel that same emotional push and pull, because I went through all of that and I still got healed. And that means that you can do it too. And as much as there was this emotional push and pull that was going on with my parents, there was also this financial push and pull, right? I got the full scholarship and then it felt like it went away. And then I had to take out loans, which was unexpected. And I didn't know what that meant for my future. And then dealt with this harassment from someone who was supposed to be my boss, which then put me at risk of potentially losing the grant I got for the internship. And thankfully, because it was something that wasn't my fault and was out of my control and something that the school also chose to push me out of for my own safety, they were able to let me keep that money. But experiencing all of this, I constantly felt like I was on the edge. Like it's easier now in hindsight to say, well, it all worked out, so it's okay. But every single one of these moments, I felt like everything was coming crashing down and my chance, my one moment to escape was something that I wouldn't be able to get back. The last few weeks I ended up um, applying to a job early on campus. So this was actually my first call center job. It was a uh, job at my school asking alumni and asking parents for donations to the school. And at the time it was the highest paid job on campus. And there was an Asian American woman who ran it and she and I actually became very close and she would train me and she's like, you know what? There's something about you, you're really gifted at this job, and every single shift I made the highest bonus. So I worked that job the entire first semester of my junior year. So the second semester of my junior year, I was not able to attend college. And this is a bigger story for another time. Basically, long story short, I wasn't able to be on campus. And my junior year, I'd completely moved out into you know, my own home off campus with my friends. And at that point, again, I thought, okay, I've done it. I've moved out because now I'm not just living somewhere for the summer. I'm living somewhere all year round. Second semester, I would have gotten the additional funds from like the refund from my tuition. So the money for room and board that I normally would have gotten, I didn't get because I wasn't attending school. And because of that, I didn't have a way to pay my rent at all. And I thought, oh my God, like I'm not able to be at school. I'm not able to work at on at my on-campus job. I'm not able to get this refund. So I have no way of paying rent. I didn't have a car. I didn't have any other job. I didn't have any savings. And this is one of the biggest rock bottom moments in my life. I literally cannot afford to live in Colorado, but I cannot mentally and emotionally afford to go home. And so of course I realized I need to try anything that I can possibly try in order to make sure I can get a job and pay for myself this second semester so that I can stay here. So then I started applying to jobs and I ended up getting this response from like a Craigslist job and it was like, hey, um, we got your interview. We'd love to speak with you. Come in this day for an interview. So I come in that day for an interview um, and it was for like a hostessing job at this like gourmet restaurant and it was also like a car club um for like luxury and unique classic cars like it was such a random thing <laughs> but um so I walk in I'm like hey I'm supposed to meet like Anna or something and they were like who what are you talking about there's no one with that name that works here and I was like oh well I got a response to my application for the hostess job that I was supposed to come in today for an interview and they were like we never sent you that email we don't have anyone here 
who goes by that name or who has that name, but I mean, you're already here and we are looking for a hostess, so why don't we just interview you? So they interviewed me and I got the job. Like, can you tell me how much the universe is involved in that whole process? Like the fact that it was a scam response that wasn't from the the restaurant, but then I still ended up getting hired on a fluke interview when I showed up somewhere because I thought I had to be there. I got that job. It was only like four hours a day um, and I had to pay for parking. So paying for parking was like almost a full hour's paycheck because I was making like $8 an hour, $8.25, something like that. And hostesses barely got tips. So I really couldn't rely on tips very much. And then I found another job. And I think it was $10 an hour. And at that point, it was like a ton of money because it was a full-time job, 40 hours a week for $10 an hour. I applied to that job, got an interview the next day, went to the interview and got the job. So in a, in less than a week, in literally a matter of two days, I got two jobs. The full-time job was actually at this call center. And the crazy thing about the call center was that they didn't do background checks. And obviously there was nothing on my record. It's not like that mattered, but everyone who worked there was at, was like from a halfway house or something like that. So I was working with, you know, a lot of felons. <laughs> a lot of them were really nice. And then some of them were definitely like a lot. But, you know, I had to do what I had to do. So I would go to the hostessing job and then immediately drive to the other full-time job. And that's how I was able to pay my rent. So I had part of my money going towards my rent and everything else I saved. I saved so much money. And then there was a lot that happened with my friends. Um, I had another experience with sexual assault. And I was very traumatized at this point. It was around May. And so I ended up moving out of my house with my now ex-friends and I had no option again. I had nowhere to live, nowhere to stay. I ended up um, talking to another student who I hadn't even known or met before. I think from like a Facebook post, I was able to sublet her house while she was away or abroad for the summer. And so I subletted that house. I had to move by myself again um, and... At that point, I also basically applied to be a supervisor and I got the position at the call center job, so I got promoted. So I ended up being a supervisor for a while and because of the additional hours that I was working at that job, um, I had to quit my hostessing job. So I went in, I quit my hostessing job and we would have weekly meetings at the call center with the owner of the company, all the supervisors. So as a supervisor, I was like, you know what, I have studied statistics and research statistics, it's crazy that at this job that's all based on numbers and metrics that there's no one who is going over the data. So I told the owner that and I stood behind it and he ended up giving me an additional job as like a data researcher at this call center. So then I worked in the morning as the data researcher and then in the afternoon, I did my supervising shift. So I was working 65 hours a week and all of that money I put away as much as I possibly could. The only things I paid for was rent and I wasn't even able to cook actually at this time because there was like a a water plumbing issue. So there was no water at my house for the entire summer. And it was a nice house too, but there was no water. So I couldn't shower. We couldn't cook. Um, so I had to walk like four blocks to my friend's house so I could shower. And I ended up like sleeping over there like half the summer too, because like I just didn't have water. And I basically lived on like Chinese food for that whole summer. So other than spending money on like Chinese food and rent, I wasn't paying for anything else. So I saved all that money and at that point I was able to buy my own car and that was the first car I ever had. I didn't have a car when I turned 16. The first car that I got I bought with my own money when I was 21. I also want to point out one more time how much the universe was showing up for me because number one I wouldn't have even been able to stay in Colorado if I hadn't moved off campus the start of my junior year. If I'd lived on campus I would have been kicked out and it would have been too late in the year to find other students to live with. And on top of that I never would have been able to get this promotion as the data researcher if I hadn't have just taken a research statistics course that semester before in school. So as much as I couldn't predict any of these things, the universe was truly showing up for me left and right. And then with going through all these difficulties with my friends and those friendships really being on the line, 
this job is actually where I met my now boyfriend. So I had a brand new built-in support system and we didn't even start dating until after I stopped working there. But me and him and a few other supervisors were really close friends. So we spent all of our breaks together and I truly would not have been able to get through that job because it was awful and I was working so much. I actually didn't even get paid overtime for working 65 hours a week. Everything was still done on, on an hourly basis, which I'm sure is illegal. But with all of that being said, I had a built-in support system. I had a way to stay in Colorado and I had a way to make extra money and eventually end up saving for my very first car. So I continue working these crazy hours all summer long and then I'm finally back at school and I'm able to re-enroll. I was able to go back and join my on-campus call center job as well, asking for donations. And at that job, this same Asian American lady was still running it and we'll call her Cindy. So one day I go out for coffee with Cindy because her and I were pretty close. And she tells me, look, this isn't something I've said to any of the other students, but I really think that the job that I have working for the school full-time is something that I can really see you doing when you graduate. And this was music to my ears. I didn't know if it was something that would work out, but in the back of my mind for this entire senior year, I thought about that. And as many other jobs as I applied to during my senior year, I always kind of kept this position at the back of my mind. It happened to be that she ended up getting promoted, and so that position was actually open at the end of the year. I ended up applying to it around April or May of my senior year, and of course I needed to complete my degree before I was able to start, but I was actually hired for that position and they selected me before I graduated. And to me, this was the biggest accomplishment. To me, I was like, I finally, finally am in control of myself. I landed a job, I'm gonna finish college, and this is it. I'm finally moving out. I finally created my own life here. On my graduation day, obviously my parents were here. My grandfather came to see me graduate. That was honestly one of the hardest weekends of my life um, because my parents met my partner. They didn't approve of him. They heard about me getting that full-time job. They were kind of proud of me for graduating and kind of proud of me for getting that job, but also really upset that I was going to stay in Colorado. And every summer, every break, they kept like telling me that I still lived at home. And I was like, I spend all my time in Colorado. I haven't lived at home for more than a month at a time in years, and you still think that I live at home. And I didn't even know that they expected me to move back home, so I didn't even know I was fighting against that. But I told them, no, I'm graduating. I have a full-time job lined up for myself a week before I graduate. They told me, finally, after some arguing about this, they said, okay, well, you can only take this job if you come home and visit us once a month. And so I had to pay out of my own money to fly home once a month for at least a weekend or hopefully a little bit longer. And I would have the worst panic attacks. I would have the worst anxiety. I was getting so depressed and so exhausted. And then being there wasn't really great for my mental health. But I also knew at that point that saving and that not having debt was my key to freedom and to success. And so all of the money that I had left over, I wouldn't, you know, go out to eat. I didn't spend really money on myself. I didn't really spend money on clothes. Like there were even moving. I stayed at that apartment that was $7.25 a month. I stayed there for three years without the heat, without a dishwasher, without a disposal, um, with you know, water that was always cold in the bathroom. Like it had so many issues, but again, it was cheap. And I knew like, I can't spend money on myself. I have to get out of debt. So I started pouring all of my extra money every single month after any money that I sent home, after any money that I needed on flights, I was paying it all back to my student loans and to my car. So I paid off my car that first year out of college, which means that I paid off my car in two years, which was amazing. I ended up having so many car repairs on that car car that over the next three years, I ended up spending almost $14,000 in car repairs. And I put all of my money that wasn't for bills into my student loans. And I paid off almost $22,000 in student loans just that year. The biggest thing that I can say to you about moving out, especially in a South Asian family, is that finances are key. And 
even if you have to work shitty jobs, even if you go on a complete financial roller coaster and sometimes you don't even know what's coming next, for me it was always worth it to be able to be on my own. And like the times that were really dark that I had no idea what was coming or how I was going to get through it, the universe always pulled through for me. You have to put one foot in front of the other because no one else is going to do it for you. And I would rather cry in a bathroom at work and ultimately know that I have my own home, my own safe space to go to, than be at home and be able to not pay rent but still be mentally suffering. During my first year out of college, that's when I simultaneously learned about personal growth. That's eventually what led me to segue into creating my own business, but it all started with my personal growth journey, and that never would have happened if I didn't have a place that I felt safe enough to explore myself, to study myself, to be myself. None of this would be possible, even if you have to move to a, a city that's not so glamorous, even if you have to move to a different state, even if, like, whatever it is that you have to do, if you're determined and if you put one foot in front of the other and if you trust the universe and if you ask the universe for help things will work out but you also have to be really smart about it because there were so many times that I wished I could have bought new clothes there were so many times that I wish I could have afforded to go to dinner there were so many class trips and vacations that my friends took that I wish I could have gone on um there were so many experiences that I wish I could have had in my early 20s, even traveling, even doing all these things, but I knew that I wouldn't be able to have my safe space if I did that. I knew I wouldn't be able to get out of debt if I did that. You you have to know that you are capable of figuring it out. And I have done so much in my life. I've had to like walk on my own two feet for everything from buying and selling cars, from touring apartments, from signing leases, from applying to jobs, from figuring out how to invest, from learning about 401ks, from paying off my debt, from building my savings and depleting my savings and rebuilding my savings and depleting that. Like I've gone through so many roller coasters and I've made it through it all and I'm so proud of myself. No one can take this independence away from me. No one can take this sense of self away from me. And and that to me is priceless and it's worth every hurdle and every difficulty that I've been through in my life. I know this was a little bit of a different episode. I hope that you were still able to enjoy it even though I was just kind of telling you pieces of my life story. But I hope that this inspires you to believe in yourself and to know that even if you don't know what you're doing, even if you've never figured it out before, you are able to figure it out and that you will be able to have the resources that you need as long as you're very, very intentional about what you're doing and that's what you have to do if that's your priority. So don't let anyone stop you. Don't let the lack of knowledge, don't let the lack of finances stop you. Last thing I want to say is that I also admit that this did come with a lot of privilege. Like, yes, I didn't have even money for like a winter coat for the first year that I moved to Colorado, but I did have a full ride scholarship for that first year. I was able to get other grants and scholarships for my summers. You know, I admit that that comes with so much privilege and a lot of luck as well. If being home is so dangerous for you or mentally putting you in a bad place, there is always something that you can apply to or figure out in order to do it. Prioritize your safety, prioritize your well-being. You know your life the best. Don't be afraid to reach out to resources around you. Don't be afraid to reach out to people who may be able to help. Just don't give up on it. It's possible and know that emotionally and mentally and even physically, you will thank yourself for making the right decision for you, especially and always if that decision is choosing yourself. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Becoming Enough. I am so, so grateful to have you here and that you listened to the entire episode. If you found that this episode helped you in any way, please share it on Instagram and tag me at B-E-T-I Grew Up. And if you'd like to support another way, I would really appreciate any donation of any kind. There's going to be a link in the show notes where you can donate or write a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help me so, so much and they help other people like us find the podcast as well. 
If you'd like to take our journey a step further and work together, you can find the information on how to book a tarot reading or a self-worth coaching session in the show notes below. Thank you again, and I hope you have a beautiful week ahead.